So just an encouraging thing. Uh, I came to know Gil and Amy uh, down in Los Angeles at uh, my former church, Faith Community Church. And uh, Gil and Amy were very involved with college group there. And then the Lord called them to the mission field. Um, and in their process of doing that, we saw a contingency of five, six people in that same age group go out all over the world. It was one of the things that just really excited me about what Faith Community Church was all about. And the legacy of that is incredible because the team that we then took to Gil and Amy, over half of those young people are out in missions now around the world. Um, and some even doing missions here in the States. And so there's just a legacy to what, what God is doing through Gil and Amy. And not only that, what, what God is doing currently in their work in training up, right? One of our key values, core values, equipping. Seeing the need to train up those who are the spiritual leaders, the spiritual shepherds in that country. And it is so vital, so incredibly vital that those individuals get good, solid training that will last a lifetime. And then they can, like Paul said to Timothy, impart those to other men who will be faithful. So it's my privilege. Give a warm welcome to Gil Medina, and we're going to show in just a minute. Um, go ahead. You can, you can give him a warm welcome now. Come on up. Uh, why don't you explain real briefly, Gil, what, uh, what they're about to see. You're going to do a little presentation here. So you're going to see just a short video <clears throat> excuse me, that just talks about our ministry, gives you kind of an overview of the city. I know it's hard when we only visit every few years to know what our ministry is about, so that'll give you a glimpse of what we're doing. And we've been really encouraged to see how God is helping to train up leaders to help lead the African church. So you'll see a little bit of it here. Excellent. And then I'm just going to let you roll, roll with it right after that. Good. All right, here we go. Imagine being at a church where the only Bible training your pastor received was from televangelists. Well, that's the reality for most of the churches here in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. About 50% of Tanzania is Muslim, but the rest call themselves Christian. Like many African countries, Christianity has spread rapidly. But most pastors in Dar es Salaam have had no form of Bible training or have ever been discipled. This is why we felt compelled to start the Reach Tanzania Bible School. Our Bible school operates in a non-traditional way. Since we are targeting Tanzanian church leaders who are already serving in full-time ministry, each class is a week long and students come for 10 weeks each year to earn their certificate. All of their homework assignments require them to immediately put into practice what they've learned. Students take classes in Bible study methods, evangelism, church planning, marriage and family, and a variety of other theological topics. We strongly encourage our students to take our material and teach it to others. Praise God for his incredible work in our students' lives. and worship God and some of our neighbors started hearing the way we were praising God and worshiping Him. So they started joining us for prayers and worshiping the Lord and slowly I started telling them about the good news about Jesus and these are some methods that I have learned here in Rich Tanzania for evangelism. Uh, they, they accepted Christ and they offered their lives to Jesus. 
So from a number of 10 people, now we have grew to a number of 105 till this time in a year. So I thank God, God is good. What I have acquired here, the knowledge I've acquired, has completely changed my life. I am a pastor. I am going to impart the same knowledge to my people. And I believe everyone is going to experience a great change of life. The cause which I've been having here in rich Tanzania, it helps me so much because now I'm a different person. My understanding about the Christ has been changed a lot because we learn even the church planting. Um, we are truly now praying about the church planting. We want to increase our church at least to, to, to reach in different areas, different regions, even different countries. We were talking about this even with my bishop. The Holy Spirit speak with me and he told me that my son, <laughs> I have many people, I want them also. So I was like crying and I said, Lord use me, Lord use me, I'm ready, I'm ready. I want to reach everyone, Muslims, different people with a gospel, with a talent which you gave me, I will use everything I have to preach this gospel, Lord. Remember that in our earlier years in Tanzania, Gil worked as chaplain at Haven of Peace Academy, which is a wonderful missionary school. Since all of our kids will be in school starting in August, that's freed me up to pursue full-time ministry again. I'm really excited that I will be going back on staff as elementary school principal at Hopak. Gil's ministry at the Bible school won't change, but I'm really looking forward to this new chapter in my life. Hopak is an amazing place that is changing the lives of not only missionary kids, but also hundreds of Tanzanian children. It'll be a privilege to serve there again. appreciate you as a church we're thankful for your support and helping us to be there and we really feel that we've been able to see how God is changing lives both through the school that my wife will be teaching at Haven of Peace Academy as being the principal and then also the Bible training school we're helping to train church leaders and pastors so we invite you after church to hear more about it the details of what God has been doing we're really excited to share more about that um, it's fun to see Jer again and his family, we've known them for a really long time, and just how God has used us in different ways in faith and faith in spreading out the gospel to different parts of the world. And yeah, I'm just excited for the privilege of getting to see your family again and being invited to your church and preaching this morning. So before we jump into the word, let's, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your goodness, your faithfulness, and we pray this morning as we are here with maybe different distractions, different things that are going on in our lives, that we would slow ourselves down and focus on your word, what you have to teach us, that we would walk away changed because of your word, because of the spirit working inside of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Have you ever had a difficult time getting something? Like where you just couldn't get it? Uh, maybe for some of you in school it was algebra, or maybe today with different electronics you have a hard time, or in the case of my wife, all electronics I think she has a hard time with. Um, those posters from the 90s where they were like 3D posters where if you looked really hard and squinted your eyes, you were supposed to be able to see something. There are certain things that we just don't get sometimes, no matter how hard we try, how many people explain it to us. Well, I want to share one of my most humbling and embarrassing ones as a missionary. I am horrible at Swahili. That is the language of Tanzania. That's the first language. Engl English is the second language, and a lot of things are done in English. But I have tried. We've been there for 13 years, and it has been one of those things that has been so frustrating that I just, I want to get, I want to understand, and I've tried this, and I've tried that, this program, that tutor, and it just hasn't come easily. Now, I'm very thankful that they, our program is in English, and most of the people in the city speak English, but it's a daily reminder to me of how frustrating it is when you just can't get something. This morning, we're going to see how, even in Jesus's ministry, when he was teaching people, there was often a time where they, the people he were teaching just didn't get it. He would go over it again and again and again, and the crowds of people and even his own disciples struggled with some of the most crucial teachings that he had and how that affected his ministry. We're going to see that he often spoke about the kingdom. You see it in his parables. You see it in his opening teachings. Even when John starts off his message, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Most of Jesus' parables start off, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's strange to me that one of the things Jesus most taught on and seems to be the most clear is the one thing that the crowds of Israel and even his, whole, his own disciples had a hard time grasping. They just couldn't get it. And to give you a glimpse of this, turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. Looks like from your bulletin, you guys may have been in the book of Acts. So this <laughs> Acts chapter 1. So as every teacher knows, or even every parent knows, one of the most frustrating things is after you've taught something and you, for like the hundredth time and you feel like they got it. And you're feeling, you feel a little smug. You're like, okay, they get it. And then somebody raises their hand, and you're like, oh no. And then they ask the question that shows they didn't get it. Or the kid in the, one of your kids says, and they ask some question, you, you see, they haven't got any of it. Well, that's exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 1. We see here, look at verse 3, that he has been presenting himself. Jesus has come back. This is after his death and resurrection. For a period of 40 days, he's been teaching his disciples about what? The end of verse 3. Concerning the kingdom of God. Okay, so not only his three and a half year ministry, but now for the last 40 days, he's been hitting on the same point about the kingdom of God. And he's ready to ascend into heaven to leave this ministry to his disciples. They're prepared. And then one of them raises their hand. What do they ask? Verse 6. So when they come together, they were asking him, and it was just, not just one, together collectively, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And I can't imagine Jesus going, they still don't get it. What does Jesus say, though? He said to him, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs for which the Father has fixed 
by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Focus on this. You obviously haven't gotten this point yet. This is what I want you to focus on here. And we actually see this throughout Jesus' ministry. We probably see it most clearly during the Passion Week, during that last week of Jesus' life. From the triumphal Sunday, where the crowds of people, thousands of people who have gathered for Passover, are out there waving their branches, putting down their coats, and shouting, Hosanna, King, save us now. And yet those very same people on Friday are shouting what? Crucify. Why? Five days. Dramatically different. Because they didn't get it. They just didn't get it. What they wanted, the nation of Israel, the disciples, they wanted a kingdom. They were living under the oppression of the Romans. And we can't even imagine how horrible it was but they wanted to deliver like Moses. The Passover was a celebration of their Independence Day, when Moses delivered the people out of the hands of the Egyptians, and more than anything, they wanted to be delivered out of the hands of the Romans. They wanted a king like David to lead them. They wanted an empire like the days of Solomon, and they believed that when the Messiah came, that's exactly what he would do. He would get rid of the Romans, he would raise up the nation of Israel to make them the greatest, and their lives would be great. Ultimately, what the nation of Israel wanted more than anything else was for their lives to be better. I think we all want that to some degree. We even see it among his disciples. They have no shame in asking, Jesus, what will we get when the kingdom comes? We've left everything to follow you. What will we get? We see them constantly arguing and fighting over who is greatest in the kingdom. Peter and John's mother even gets in on the act going to Jesus and saying, can you reserve the right and left seat when the kingdom comes? And it starts another argument among the disciples. So we see that even they had a misunderstanding of what Jesus was bringing them. They were so fixated on that one thing. Nothing else. We see this in Tanzania. 
working there in the church there, there is a sickness, disease, a prosperity gospel has been shipped from America all over the world. And it's a message that says this. It says that if you do the right things, God will give you what you want. If you pray the right way, if you give the right tithe, then God will bless you with whatever it is that you want. A bigger house, a car, whatever it is you want. If you do these things, God will give it to you. You just have to have enough faith. And so there's an obsession with these things. And everywhere we go, we hear this prosperity message being preached, and it's dangerous. But I also see it here. Even in America, lots of people consider themselves to be Christians, right? On Easter and Christmas, churches are full. What American doesn't love to say, God bless America? We love Philippians 4.13 and Jeremiah 29.11. We learn certain things about Christianity. We love Jesus, but we also want the kingdom of America, too. A kingdom of luxury, of pleasure, of our own desires. And so we find ourselves with this conflict within us. You see, I think the problem with the gospel not going out as it should in America and around the world is not with that lack of understanding. I think we can get here clearly Acts 1.8. The Great Commission. The problem we find is in our heart. We have a divided heart. That just like the disciples, just like the crowds of people, we're fickle. In church, we love to sing that we love Jesus. But then Monday, when we go to school or we go to work, we have this conflicted heart of the things that we want, the way that our life could be better, how Jesus can improve my life now, instead of looking at what his kingdom is about. And so just like the disciples, we wrestle with that very thing. It's a common problem in all of us. Our passage this morning, this is by introduction. Turn with me to John chapter 6. How does Jesus handle this? It's a common problem with us. It's a common problem back then. How does Jesus address this issue of the heart? And this passage in John is a, is a crucial one. It's his line in the sand. It's a, a changing point in Jesus' ministry. To give you some background here at the beginning of John chapter 6, he does one of his greatest miracles, feeding the 5,000. More like 20,000 when you include women and children. And the people love it. This is the kind of king they want. This is the kind of leader they want. It says immediately, verse 14, after he does this, Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, Surely, this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, this is not just any prophet. This is a reference to Deuteronomy 18.15, in which Moses said, There will be one that comes who is like me, but greater than me. And they're saying, This has got to be the one. If he can do this, if he can make my life, if he can just make food on demand, we are set. They lived hard lives of farming, simple people. And Jesus is able to just multiply food. And they're ready, it says, to make him. Verse 15, perceiving, Jesus perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king. That's it. We need no election. We know that you are our leader. You are the Messiah. If you can do this, we'll follow you anywhere. But there's a problem here. Jesus knows their heart. He knows that they're only there for what he can give to them. How he can benefit them. 
he knows that's not what he wants in his kingdom. What happens? We'll skip ahead. Jesus leaves that night. He does not let them make a king. He goes away by himself to pray. He sends the disciples to the other side. The following day, verse 26, actually verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, how did you get here? The disciples left at you. What happened? Verse 26, Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the sign, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. So Jesus says to them, I know why you're here. You're not here to hear teaching. You're not even here to see a miracle. All you want is your stomach is grumbling and you're here for some more free food. You want to follow me. You want to be my disciple because I can improve your life. That's why you're here. And they have some discussion about this. Made me think about but how often do we think about food, especially as Americans. Now, I'm just talking about we're looking at a menu. But most of our life is consumed with providing those things that we need to survive. Right? We go to work or we go to school so that we can go to work, so that we can get a job, so that we can provide those basic needs like food and housing. So much of our life is consumed in those things that it's hard to think about God's kingdom because we're only thinking about our own needs. We're thinking about food, how we can provide that food. How we can provide a table that we can eat on all those things are daily. How much of our day is consumed with thinking along those things? Jesus tells them, though, and I think this is good for us too, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. I don't think he's saying we should quit our job, stop going to school. But I think what he's saying here is don't be so consumed with those things that you lose sight of something greater. It's easy, right? It's it's easy on a daily basis from Monday to Friday to forget about church, to forget about our mission, to forget about what we're called to do to make disciples. Because we get, we have our jobs, we have come home, we have to do this, we have, we have all these things that we have to do, and, and Jesus can kind of take a back seat. And our mission that we're called to do because of everything else that comes in the way. And Jesus says, don't let that be the case. He's trying to say that there's something more here. And if we had time, I'd love to go into great detail. It's kind of an overview of John 6. But he talks about he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. He's saying, I'm offering you something better. He's telling the crowds of people who are there for more free food. He says, yeah, I know you enjoyed that food yesterday. But I have something greater than that. Something that will change your life. And they're saying, well, actually, we just want more free food, if that's possible. We don't need anything besides that, Jesus. We have in our minds what we want the kingdom to look like, and if you could just follow that step, we'll be good. But Jesus doesn't go for that. They reject his offer. In fact, they say, why don't you do another miracle, and then we'll believe what you're saying. And I find that's the case often with the prosperity gospel is that people often want one sign, and then you want another sign, and then you want another sign, and it's never enough. You want God to always be doing something more. I find that even in my own life, right? There are times where we try to negotiate with God. God, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. I'll go to church every day this year if you get me that, or if you fix this problem, or if you do this. 
We try to manipulate God or to change God to fit what our plan is. And God doesn't work that way. God is not trying to, to fill our idea of what a kingdom should look like. He's about us getting on board with his kingdom and what he wants us to do. Jesus is offering them something greater, but they want to settle for simple food. Simple, making their lives better. And the result of this, he goes into great discussion here. But Jesus draws his line in the sand. The result is this. Look at verse 60. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Jesus began to speak in great detail about how he will suffer and die. And they say, that's not our idea of Messiah. Our idea of Messiah is a conqueror, is a king like David who overthrows people, not one who suffers and dies. We all can do that. They said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? Verse 61. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this. So these aren't just fringe people. These are his closest disciples. They're grumbling. He says, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? And Jesus relies greatly on knowing that God is the one who draws people. There are many people who will follow him, but they are not all true disciples of his. And then verse 65. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it, is he, unless it has been granted him from the Father. And then verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were no longer walking with him anymore. It's an easy verse to remember. John 6, 6, 6. I don't know if the, uh, the people who put the numbers in there did that on purpose. But it's, it's a deciding point in Jesus' ministry that at this point, many of his disciples, these aren't just the, the crowd, this is his closest people who have been following him for years. And they said, that's it. You're not the one we thought you were. And they leave. Now, if I was Jesus, I would, I would be a little hesitant. I might be like, oh, wait, maybe you misunderstood me and try to call them back and try to clarify things. But he doesn't do that. What does he do instead? Jesus turns to the 12 and says, do you want to go too? There's the door. See everybody else, that's the way. If that's what you're looking for, that's where you should be going. He doesn't try to keep them. He's not impressed with the thousands of people, right? There's 20,000 people here. He doesn't care because he knows they're just there to make their lives better. How many of our churches in the world are filled with people who just want to make their lives better? They don't want to know Jesus. They don't, don't want to know how Jesus can change their life. They don't want to know what Jesus is calling them to do and how he's calling them to serve. All they want is Jesus fix my problems. Now, Jesus can fix our problems, but that is not the chief purpose of Jesus. And the prosperity gospel is destroying the gospel message around the world. Because people are believing that lie. And it's not the truth. It's not what Jesus taught. I think sometimes, as churches, we like to focus on those things that make us feel warm and fuzzy inside. We love the verses that talk about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. All important things. But sometimes that leads us to neglect the passage that speak about the cost of discipleship. The path to suffering. <coughs> choosing to sacrifice. We don't like those passages quite as much. We don't put those 
on our verses, you know, those verses on our wall in our kitchen. We don't put them on cards because they don't make us so warm and fuzzy. They're difficult verses. But Jesus was very clear in his ministry. In Mark 8:34, he was very clear. If any of you would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and then follow me. That is a challenge. He must deny himself. We are, as Americans, I am not very good at denying myself. I come and tend to ice cream too. Oh, I can do I can, I can do some ice cream. I can become gluttonous. I can, I need this, I need that, I want this, I want that. I'm not very good at denying myself. It takes work. But Jesus says we must deny ourselves, we must take up our cross, we must be willing to suffer and die for what he's called us to do. That's a different message than the prosperity message brings. Even when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, what must I do to be saved? Jesus finds the one point in his life, he'd obviously got a lot of good spiritual religious things, but Jesus says, go and sell all that you have and then come follow me. Walked away sad. Couldn't do it. Because Jesus pinpointed the one area in his life he was not willing to release to him. He was not willing to sacrifice. What if Jesus told you that? He told you today sell your house, sell your car, leave your job, and go to the inner city. Go to another part of the world. Would you be willing to do that? Thought Jesus clearly telling you to do that. He doesn't call everyone to do that. But how we answer that question is probably the most clearest. It shows our heart the most. It reveals to us what's really inside. Are we about Jesus helping us in our lives or about us serving Jesus in his kingdom? And it's not an easy question. And it's one that we wrestle with. From this point on, Jesus will change his whole ministry. It's been two and a half years of doing lots of great miracles, lots of teaching, but now at this point, he will stop going to the city. So he'll stay on the outskirts. He'll stop doing as many miracles, and when he does miracles, he'll tell them, keep it a secret. He'll begin to teach, but he'll only teach in parables. Matthew 13 tells us he wouldn't teach only except for parables. To those who are really interested, those who really wanted to follow him, not for the crowds of people who just wanted to see another miracle or to have their stomachs filled. And that's why on that Palm Sunday, the crowds came out because they heard about the miracle of Lazarus and they heard about him coming into the temple. He said, maybe he's coming to do what we want. By Friday, they realized he wasn't. And they said, crucify him. Are we the same way? Jesus doesn't give us what we want. He doesn't fill our dreams the way we expect things to happen. He doesn't give us the job that we think we deserve. He doesn't give us whatever we think we need or want. And we say, well, then, I guess he keeps failing. Or we say, I will deny myself and take up my cross, and I will follow him wherever he leads me. You see, I think the difference between a false disciple and a true disciple, a false disciple always wants more stuff. More food, more miracles, more things, more houses, more things. A true disciple wants more of Jesus. Amen. So you have to ask yourself, which one are you? Are you one that goes to Jesus asking for more things? 
Are you going to Jesus and saying, I want more of you? Because at the end, you're enough. You're all that I need. I love the gifts that you give me. I love the blessings that you shower me. But at the end of the day, as Job would say, right? You take everything else away, and you're all I need. And that's a difficult place to come to. But I love Peter's response here. Verse 68, Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where can we go? We know that you have the truth. We know that you're the one. And it's amazing to me that, yes, even the disciples didn't get it. It seems even on that day of the ascension, when they asked the question, is it now that you're going to give us the kingdom? You're going to make our lives better now, right? And Jesus says, it's not for you to worry about that time. What we see in the book of Acts, as you guys are studying the book of Acts, that obviously they do get it, because the gospel starts to explode throughout the empire. It starts in Jerusalem, goes to Judea, Samaria, and then it goes to the remotest parts of the earth because they finally get that the kingdom of God is not about making their lives better. You look at the disciples' lives and how they suffered and died. Not wealthy, not with big houses, not with nice cars, not with private jets. The prosperity gospel sometimes likes to preach. But they died believing that more of Jesus was enough. And that's why the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, as the gospel truly penetrates into their heart and they understand the kingdom of heaven. It's not about them. It's about God and how they fit into that plan. I want you to think about, as we close, is Jesus your greatest treasure? One of the things is we work in Tanzania and we work with pastors. And actually, shortly before we came here, I got to teach the life of Christ. And knowing the prosperity gospel, really trying to hit on those messages that they haven't heard. Discipleship, sacrifice. And so why have we never heard this before? Why has nobody ever taught us this before? It's, it's obviously here. And they were excited and they said, I can't wait to go back to my church and teach people about this. Are we the same way? Are we true disciples who want more of Jesus? Or are we those that are just in the crowd looking to see what we can get from Jesus? And that's a, it's a big distinction. It's often hard to tell because they can look the same. They can do the same thing. I think our challenge, how do we know that we're doing this? We do what Jesus did. Jesus would spend his next year focusing on discipleship. And I think that's something the church has lost Overseas, there's been a big movement away from what they say missions by addition, you know, converting one person. But they say it's by multiplication. That you disciple one person who disciples one person, and that person disciples another person, and that person disciples another person. And if you do that, you will have radical multiplication like you see in the book of Acts. The problem is we don't often do that. We don't train true disciples. It's interesting, if you think about the numbers, if that were really to happen, and you see that, right? From the book of Acts, it goes from a group of 500 by Acts chapter 4 up to 3,000 to 5,000. Historians estimate that by 180, just 60 years after Jesus, it was up to 25,000. By 358, just 200, 300 years after the time of Christ, it's up to between 10 and 30 million believers in the Roman Empire. At one of the most difficult points of church history to survive as a Christian. 
and it grew to 10 million in 300 years. Why? Because they believed the message of the kingdom. They got it, and it changed their lives. What about for us here in Concord, Tanzania? Do we truly believe that Jesus is enough, that he is our greatest treasure, that we should seek him first over everything else? And do we believe that discipleship, making disciples, right, that idea of equipping and evangelizing, going together, that we're making disciples, and even this week as the VBS is happening, that, that's discipleship, that's intentionality, spending time with people, sacrificing your time to invest in the next generation so that they understand not only the gospel message, but how it's lived out. Are we about discipleship? And if you ask most Christians, have you discipled somebody? Most of them will say they haven't, because it's a lost art. But as you look in the book of Acts, the challenge you, discipleship is what Jesus did. And it's how it radically, radically changed the face of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful that you are patient with us when we don't get it. That most of my life, growing up in the church, I didn't get it. I heard it. I saw it, but I didn't personally get it. I thought it was all about me. Father, I pray that we would want the greater day. We would want the living water, the true bread of life. That would be our heart's deepest desire. And as we cherish that, that would radically change our lives so that we are loving the things that you love, making true disciples, leading people the way that you led. Through love, through sacrifice. I pray even this week for the BBS and sacrifice and service that it takes, that you would just be working in those kids' hearts and those families. I pray that for all of us this week, that we would allow you to be our treasure, not just on Sunday, but every day. And that it would change how we start off and finish every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.